Amen. All right, Christmas, Christmas. How many guys are excited about Christmas this year, huh? Anybody, a couple of you? Praise God, all three of you, Brie. That's right. Uh, just a few more days away. Who's counting? We all are. Okay, but that's right. But Christmas is a great time of excitement, right? At least for a couple days or something, a day or something. And, and believe it or not, it is so exciting. The deacons, I know, once again, can't even contain their joy. They're totally into it, man. I got proof. Let's take a look. Yeah, give it up for the deacons, man. Woo! Man, how many of you guys want some of those magic beans that Don has? You know what I'm saying? That's right. Hopefully they're legal, but we won't go there. But that's right. But as you guys all know, hey, we've, we've got some uh, uh, new up and coming uh, leadership here at Sunrise. They're called interns. Give it up for the interns. That's right. And uh, believe it or not, I got a good source. They, too, are extremely excited about Christmas, and they decided to step it up a notch, though. You know what I'm saying? Uh, not to get into a battle of bands with the deacons, but I guess we will. Let's take a look at how excited they are. Let's, let's take a look at this one. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on top they ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to laugh and sing the sleigh song tonight. Wow. You guys are going to town. Right on. I, I guess the uh, headbanger days I used to have has an influence on them, but uh, we won't go there. But uh, Christmas is an exciting time, right? Everybody's getting into it, man. Deacons, everybody, and hopefully you are too. And, and it seems it's such an exciting time. We say the same single thing every year. We say, man, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could, we could have that great Christmas excitement all year round, right? You ever say that, think that, right? Well, folks, believe it or not, I got a good Christmas present for you. You really can. 
You really can have that exciting uh, Christmas excitement all year round. You just got to get back to the true wonder of Christmas. The true wonder of Christmas, what it's really all about. You see, believe it or not, folks, Christmas, contrary to popular belief, it's not just another day at the office where you do all the work and some big guy in a colored suit gets all the credit. Santa Claus. That's right, Santa Claus. You ever said that? Yeah, yeah. And, and believe it or not, it's not just about sitting around a, a, a dead tree eating stale candy out of this giant sock. Okay? And believe it or not, Christmas is not at all about what this guy's singing about, even if he is from Vegas. Let's take a look at this. Hi, I'm Louis Favreau, world-famous Las Vegas lounge singer. Over the years, I've learned a lot about Christmas. And not that mushy Christmas you see in the movies. I'm talking about the real Christmas. And it's all right here, in my new album, Christmas for Reals. You better bring ham, you better bring pie. Wear stretchy pants, I'm telling you why. Gluttony is coming to town. Oh yeah, baby, I changed the words. Louis is keeping Christmas real. Just bring your Amex Visa, Mr. Card, discover today. Let's go and get forever bike stuff that people will hate. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, let's go. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, please don't burn my house down. Order today and get two albums or eight-track cassettes. Filled with Christmas songs that tell it the way it is. Stuff my face with lots of turkey. Ba la 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 la. It's so dry it tastes like jerky. So glad I don't live in Parum Pum Pum Pum. Oh yeah, I went there. And I also go here. Chipmunks roasting. Honey and open fire. Mmm, so tasty. You think it, I sing it, go buy it! I'll even throw in this bonus track from South of the Border. She thinks I'm a slob. She says I'm a blob. She thinks I'm a slob, guess I play my Wii and don't want a job. This holiday season, stuff your stockings with a real gift. Louis Favreau's Christmas for Reals. <laughs> I like the Deacon's version better. But, uh, hey, folks, I know, I hope this is not a, a rough, uh, difficult question, but how many guys realize that that's not, that's not Christmas for Reals? You know what I'm saying? It's a lot better than that. But the reason why that's so funny is because if we're honest, folks, that's how most people in our world view Christmas, right? It's just about eating tons of food, hopefully not too dry. You get tons of presents, hopefully, and somehow you avoid pa-rump-pa-rump-rump. Okay, Jesus is nowhere to be found, okay, is how it usually goes. And, and the sad news is, if we're honest, sometimes we Christians can get caught up in that, uh, even though we know better, okay? We celebrate Christmas for all the wrong reasons. And so, listen, we not only miss out on that special excitement on that day, we miss out on that special excitement all year round. And it's true, folks, you can really have it, okay? So in order to remind us here at uh, Sunrise of the true wonder of uh, Christmas and discover how we can have that excitement all year round, uh, that's what I want to talk about. And believe it or not, the Bible actually tells us how you and I can have this great time of excitement over the birth of Jesus Christ. 
every single day. We just got to get back to the true wonder of Christmas. But again, uh, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And if you find Jeremiah, what do you do? Take a left. That's right. And uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's take a look at uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. You know what Christmas is supposed to be about. Okay. And why is it so exciting? And not just for a day, but for the rest of your life, your time on earth. Okay. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 here. And we're going to grab the context uh, of a passage that's typically just pulled out, and that's okay. Uh, But let's grab the context of what makes it so exciting, okay? Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, when you get there, say moo. There you go. How about Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. All right, let's start. Nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom. Anybody excited about that? There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he, God, will honor uh, Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now, of course, if you don't realize, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah, okay? Uh, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their pressure. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for fire when oh when's this gonna happen how now we read this verse here's how for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the what government keyword there and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called the wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace and the increase of his government and peace (laughs) there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom everlasting and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever listen the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this in other words folks this is in god's hand God is the one who's going to be doing this. He's going to make sure it happens and nobody can stop it. Anybody glad about that? Okay, but Isaiah here in the context is reminding us of what makes Christmas, i.e. the birth of Jesus, so absolutely exciting. He says because of that, he says one day there is something wonderful coming to this planet beyond your wildest dreams because Jesus Christ was born into this world. And when he comes, he is going to turn our gloom into joy, our darkness into light. He's going to set us free from burdens, oppression, and all of our battles. And how many guys would say, that's kind of exciting. Okay, that's what's coming with the birth of Jesus. When a child is born to us, he says, when a son is given to us, this is starting to go into unfold, okay? And again, that's what Christmas is supposed to be about, the birth of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, now when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ, Uh, We usually get the fact that, yeah, Jesus was born in this world as a child, as a baby, but to grow up to be a man, uh, to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. We usually get that, that Jesus has come, he was born into this world, his birth was so that one day we could have the forgiveness of sin. We usually get that, right? But folks, you've got to grab the context. There's a double blessing going on here. Okay, there's a double blessing going on here. Christmas, if, if you will, Jesus' birth, Isaiah says, isn't just, listen, about the forgiveness of sin. And again, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. Anybody glad that all of your sins, every single one, past, present, future, even the ones you don't even know about, are all gone forever? 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So, but Isaiah said it's not just the forgiveness of sins. He says it's about, listen, being a part of the millennial kingdom. This is mind-blowing. This is the true wonder of Christmas, okay? Again, forgiveness of sin is awesome, but, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Isaiah, he begins to immediately, after he announces that, yeah, he's going to turn your gloom into joy, darkness into light, then he goes into the, here he is, he's born to this world, bang, then he starts talking about the millennial kingdom. See, that's what we miss. There's more to, if you will, the fullness of salvation that we don't remember, and so we don't get that excitement. But if you keep this in mind, man, it lasts all year long, okay? And Isaiah begins to break it down for us, why we should be so excited every single day of the year with the birth of Jesus Christ. And the first way he says, he says, when Jesus comes, this, this child, this son that's given to us, he is the wonderful counselor. When Jesus comes, he's born to this world. When he sets up his kingdom, he is going to be the wonderful counselor. Let's start tearing apart that passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the what? Government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called who? Wonderful counselor is what he says there. Now, the key word there in this passage is government. And this is specifically talking about the government that Jesus Christ is going to be in charge of during the millennial kingdom. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus Christ comes back and his second coming, he is going to set up his government on this planet. That's what he says. He's going to be in charge of the government. The government will be on whose shoulders? Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. And, and, and this is wild. Jesus, listen to this. This is what Isaiah's telling us. He's going to be in charge of the government, right? And it's usually kind of a weird concept for us to get as Christians. We will, we'll think of Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain on the cross for our sins, right? And that's good. We'll think of Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah who battles and defeats our enemies. And that's good. That's great. But Isaiah is saying that Jesus is also coming to be a divine political ruler. Jesus is in charge of the government. It's going to be on his shoulders. And I think the reason why we don't think of Jesus as a political ruler, as Isaiah says here, is because, let's be honest, politics and the government get a bad rap. And rightly so. Okay, as we've seen many times before, politics come from two words, poly meaning many, ticks, blood-sucking creatures. Okay. We also know that if all the politicians around the world were lined up, as one guy says, around the equator, over the ocean, all the politicians, the world would be much better off. We all know that if uh, pro uh, is the opposite of con, then the opposite of progress is Congress, right? And we also know that if nobody can fix the economy and nobody can be trusted with their finger on the button and, and nobody's perfect, then next time maybe we should vote for nobody. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Seriously, folks, politics, the government, it gets a bad rap because it's so messed up, unfortunately, right? They don't always do a good job. In fact, frankly, a lot of times they don't do a good job. But this is what's going on here. Think of Jesus. He is the political rule. He is going to be in charge of the government. It might be weird for us, but this is what he's saying, okay? Jesus, when he runs the government, it is going to be wonderful. The word that he uses here is the Hebrew word pele. Let's say that. Pele, okay? And it means wonderful. It means astonishing. It means extraordinary. Literally, it means marvelous. This is such a hard thing for us to grasp because of the bad examples we see today. He says, Isaiah says, when Jesus is in charge of the government of the whole planet, it's going to be the most wonderful, astounding, extraordinary government you could ever imagine. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor. 
So he's the one making the decisions. And as the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, unlike politicians today, he only tells the truth. Only. And he only does that which is best for the people. He doesn't lie. No more at this time will you and I ever hear this from the government. Phrases like this. Read my lips. No new taxes. You can repeat after me. Liar. Okay. You'll never hear this one. I am not a crook. Liar. Okay. Hey, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Liar. Okay. You'll never even hear this one. Hey, the fundamentals of the economy are strong. Liar. Liar. And believe it or not, no more will you hear Bob Hope say statements like this. Watch this. You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there's certain voodoo priests who who have the power to bring him back to life. Horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? Oh, my goodness. Did he just say that? What? Now, don't get distracted. Don't miss the point. Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter. When Jesus is ruling and reigning on this planet, it's going to be awesome. It's awesome. He's the wonderful counsel, the ultimate politician. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He, nobody can bribe him. You can't lobby against him. You can't get him to do anything wrong. All he does all the time, every single time, is that which is right and best for the people always. That's the government that's coming. Okay, it's on his shoulders, which means, there's, think of these things we'll never experience. And this is what Isaiah is telling us because of the birth of Christ. The meaning of Christmas, right? He says that means there's not going to be any more elections, no more election campaigns, no more voting, no more hanging chads, no more rigged machines, no more mud-slinging political ads, no more government oppression. Nobody runs against them. Nobody can match them. And all this new world order stuff that we're seeing unfold before our very eyes is going to be folded up just like that when Jesus Christ comes back. The government is going to be on his shoulders. Yes, it's about forgiveness of sins, but Jesus is coming back. And the government on this planet, it's going to be awesome. That's the true wonder of Christmas. That's what Isaiah is reminding us about. You keep thinking about that, and I'd say it lasts a lot longer than just one day. Right? But he's just getting cranked up, okay? Uh, he's telling us that a child was born for us, a son was given to us, and because of that, now we see that Jesus is the mighty God. Okay, wonderful counselor, yes, but also the mighty God. Let's go back to that text, tear it apart again. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government whoo, will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor and what? Mighty God. Not just God, he's the mighty God. Okay, now the term here in the Hebrew for mighty God is two Hebrew words. Listen to this, this is cool. It's a guy term. Uh, it's made of gabor. And uh, El. Now, Gabor means this strong, mighty, brave. Listen, in the Hebrew, it literally means warrior hero. That's Jesus. Warrior hero. When all was lost and it seemed like the battle was. Were here he comes, the warrior hero. That's what's used here in the Hebrew. It's awesome. Now, of course, El 
is the Hebrew word for God, as in Elohim or El Shaddai, speaking of Almighty God. So you put all this together, and here's what Isaiah is saying. When Jesus comes back, because of his birth, you know, the true meaning of Christmas, when he comes back, it's, he's not only going to give us the best, incredible, mind-blowing, extraordinary, marvelous government, wonderful counsel we could ever imagine, but listen, he is Almighty God. He's the Mighty God. And think of what that means. Put it back in the political context, the governmental context. The government's on his shoulders. Listen, that means that Jesus will have the ability to do whatever needs to be done. No questions asked. He is not limited. He is the mighty God. Okay, now think about that. Because today, you and I might get to have a decent ruler here and there once in a while. You know, it was back in the 1800s, I think it was. No, sir. But you know, once in a while, right? But, but here's the problem. Okay, they, don't, they lack the power to pull it off, right? They might come in with a great, godly, uh, wonderful agenda that is right for the people, but they don't have the ability to get things done. They don't have the power to pull it off, but not Jesus. He is the mighty God. He gets everything done the right way every single time. No resistance, no problems whatsoever. He's got all the power of the universe at his fingertips. He made the universe. Jesus can do and institute anything for the best of the people on the whole planet at any time, anything he wants in the whole world. Hello, he made the world. He is not limited in his ability. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He walks on water. He calms the storm. He makes a way when there is no way. Why? Because Jesus Christ is not just the wonderful counselor. He is the almighty God. He can supply any need, make any provision, do anything he wants, anytime, anyway, every single time for anybody he wants, as much as he wants. He is not limited. In fact, he gives us tastes of what he can do still even today. This is a true story. It's a missionary report that I had received back in the day. This really happened. Guy says this. He, he's writing to the congregation supporting him. He says, two days ago, I took a team of medical personnel to the village of Maize, about a 20-minute drive from Pimba in Mozambique, Africa. And as you know from our reports, I've been doing this for the past four or five months. The Maize Church is headed by Pastor Juma, a joyful brother who's planted about 30 churches in the area, and our makeshift clinic was in a slightly shaded area alongside the church building there. And as usual, dozens of adults and about 70 or more kids gathered, and many seeking medical attention. Others were socializing. The children were playing on the recently constructed playground there in the attached picture, he says. And after a couple of hours in the heat in the dust, I gave Pastor Juma some money to send an older boy to the market to buy some biscuits and some powdered juice as a, listen, you should be grateful, a rare treat for these impoverished and malnourished children. Well, when the drink appeared, uh, Juma, Pastor Juma instructed the children in their Makua tongue to form two uh, long lines to receive their biscuits and then proceed over towards the playground and get a single cup of juice. He, he then began to pr uh, pray an exuberant thanksgiving for this gift and the, the children joined in loudly and enthusiastically and and the two bags of biscuits were dumped into this clear plastic bag, and Pastor Juma was about to begin distributing them. But then he asked me what we should do. Should we give two or three biscuits to each child? And I looked over at the bag and, and then at the two long lines, and I imagined how disappointing it would be if the biscuits ran out uh, before the children at the end got any. So I said, just give them two. And he nodded in agreement. I was only a few feet away, and observing the various medical stations and answering questions, and I was watching the kids scamper happily towards the 
playground clutching their two biscuits. And, and then I looked over and I noticed that the bag of biscuits was still very full. This is an actual report. Pastor Juma took, noticed my look and he raised his hands in a gesture of surprise. And, and then he began giving three biscuits to each child. A few minutes later, I looked again, and the bag was still full, and we both began to grin. Our God was doing something marvelous before our very eyes. The kids who had quietly taken their place at the back of the line, they were rewarded with handfuls of biscuits, and the bag was still full. Juma gave more biscuits to every child in sight, and then he went around to several dozen adults and gave them large handfuls of biscuits, and when we couldn't find anyone else to give biscuits to, Pastor Juma held up the bag, and it was still as full as it was at the beginning. And we both praise God for his miraculous provision and love for the least of these. Our God is not just God. He's the almighty God. He can do whatever he wants to do. He is a God of miracles, and he still does them today. And this is what Isaiah is telling us, because Jesus was born. Yes, it's about forgiveness of sin. But man, when it comes to provision, he, and he takes charge of this planet, it's going to be this kind of miraculous provision, listen, all the time. Not just some isolated missionary report all the time. Why? Because Jesus is the mighty God. Listen, in the millennial kingdom, the Bible is clear. There is not going to be any lack, no shortage, no hunger, no class warfare, no keeping up with the Joneses. Everybody's got plenty. You've got more than you need. The Bible says there's going to be fullness of joy, total comfort, total protection, no more sickness, no more shortness of life. And listen, turn to somebody and say, I'm going to be a billionaire. See, you think I'm kidding. One researcher did the math on this. And you couple this with the scripture and what God's going to do and how liberal he is going to be with the riches of this earth. Listen to this. He said this, some who study the riches of the earth estimate the combined value of the gold, silver, grain, oil, timber, fish, fruit, minerals, etc., is calculated to be one decillion dollars. Now, he says this figure, of course, is beyond our comprehension. So slowly repeated, it is million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, septillion, octillion, novillion, decillion. That's the decillion. He said, taking pen to paper, he divided the earth's population into this figure. Listen, and he saw that if such wealth was shared, there's enough wealth on the planet so that everybody on the planet could be, quote, a billionaire. Now, can I tell you something, folks? When you read your Bible and you understand the characteristics of the millennial kingdom, God is going to share that wealth. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Which means, turn to somebody and say it again this time, I really am going to be a billionaire, right? That's awesome. Think of the baloney we're not going to see today. Hey, get this one. With all due respect, that means there's not going to be any more Bill Gates. No more Rockefellers. No more Warren Buffets. I.e., no more having the bulk of the money on the planet in the hands of an isolated few. Read the scripture about the millennial kingdom. It's going to be bountiful. It's going to be equitable uh, distribution of wealth for everybody on the planet, for all God's children. No wonder Isaiah is reminding us of this. Man, when Jesus comes back, the government is on his shoulders, but he is almighty God. We're going to have everything we could ever think of, ever need in abundance. Why? Because a child was born for us. A son was given to us. Yes, it's about the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. But it's about being under his kingdom. The government's on his shoulders. It's about being on the planet with Jesus again. 
in radically different conditions. Isn't that exciting? That's the true wonder of Christians. But he gets going, man. He goes even more. The third way he reminds us the true wonder of Christians. Now he says Jesus is what? The everlasting Father. Now think about the context of this. This is wild. Go back to the text, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 this time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and what? Everlasting Father. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. How long? And forever. Okay? Now, what's he saying? I mean, it's not like you just get to be a billionaire for a day. What's he saying? He's saying once it starts, it ain't going to end. The term here, everlasting father, two Hebrew words, odd, odd. Let's say that. Okay, that sounds like a turkey, Bobby. Nice try there. Uh, Ab, okay, it means father, okay, chief or ruler. Uh, Odd means perpetual, continuous, continuing on to the future. So you put all this together, here's what you get. During this time, yes, it's about forgiveness of sins, but we're going to the millennium kingdom. And Jesus is not only the wonderful counselor, it's the most amazing, marvelous government you could ever imagine. He's the almighty, great God. He can supply any need. We're going to have more than we can need in abundance, but he's also going to do this forever. He reigns forever. Once he takes the throne, he's not getting off. And think of what this means. Again, put it back in the contextual context of today, politics, government, okay? This means that, yeah, we might have some faithful government leaders, politicians who do do some good, right? Once in a while. And we get a little spark of hope. But what happens? They get kicked out of office, right? They lose the election. So you get some huckster that replaces them and starts all over again, right? Or they die. But listen, not Jesus. <laughs> man, once he takes office, he's there for good, man. Nobody's pushing him out. And listen, he's not going to die. And listen, we not only get to be a part of that environment I just described in those first two aspects, billionaires, the government, it's awesome. Listen, we not only get to be a part, he guarantees you're going to get there. Now that should thrill us. Anybody glad that when you become a Christian, you will go to the millennial kingdom? You're not going to miss out on it. He's the eternal father. It's called an eternal inheritance. Let's take a look at some of that proof. Are we going to make it there? Somehow we're going to miss the boat or fall off or get rejected? No. This, he's the everlasting father. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life and you will not be condemned. You've crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37. All that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You're going to the millennium. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Turn to somebody say, I'm going to make it to the millennium, okay? You're going to get there, okay? Romans 8, 35, 38, and 9. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to get there. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1.8, he, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What? Guaranteed wants to come. You're going to get there, folks. For Ephesians 1.14, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he's purchased us to be a people of his own. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Can anybody give him praise? 
right? Once you're headed there, you're going to get there. And he's just getting cranked up. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely where? Into his heavenly kingdom. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9, 12, he, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood and having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised what? Eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, he, God, has given us new birth into a living hope into what millennial kingdom and inheritance what can never perish never spoil never fade it's kept in heaven for you who's going to get up there and rip it off nobody it's secure and that's why john says this first john 5 30 i write these things to you it's there in the scripture this is awesome news if we just take it to heart that those who believe in the name of the son of god may know that you have eternal life you don't have to doubt you don't have to wonder you don't have to worry once you're headed there by the grace of god by the blood of jesus christ you're getting there that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know in the context. I really am going to be a billionaire. After all I've done, even if it's a Christian, how many times have I blown it? He's the everlasting father. It's an eternal inheritance. It's kept in heaven. It's safe and secure. What? Nobody's going to snatch it away. Oh, the wonder of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying, guys. You keep that in mind. I got a theory, and it goes like this. You're not only excited in about four days. You're excited every day. The true wonder of Christmas. One more to go, and we'll close. It's all because a child was born for us, a son was given to us. The true wonder of Christmas. The fourth way, Isaiah reminds us. Now he throws icing on the cake, man. This is awesome. Now he says, Jesus is the prince of peace. This is wild. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6 and 7 again says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, not just his government, his what? His peace, there will be no end. Okay? And, and when Jesus starts to rule, there's not only going to be no end of his government, listen, but there's not going to be any end of his peace that he distributes to the whole planet. Why? Because he's not just peace. He is the prince of peace. Prince comes from the Hebrew word sar, which means ruler of rulers, chief, official, captain, or prince. Shalom is the Hebrew word there for peace. Listen to what that means. Complete. Think about your week. Think about your year. Think about this morning when you as a husband and wife had that intense moment of fellowship. Here's your existence in the millennial kingdom. Complete soundness, complete safety, total contentment, total tranquility. It just calms just saying it. How many of you guys would like to have some of that? How many of you guys would like to have that every single day? Can I tell you what Isaiah is telling us? That's the true wonder of Christmas. Don't you get it? That's going to be our existence in the millennial kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. 
which means he's the one who's going to be dispensing it. Which, listen, he doesn't run out. He has no lack of this. He can give this kind of peace to whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however much he wants, at all times. What, what, what is it? Complete soundness, total safety, total contentment, and total tranquility. All the time. Now think of what that means. Let's break it down. That means no more worry, no more anxiety, no more stress, no more high blood pressure, no more freaking out of, of, of anything ever, no more wars, no more torment, no more suffering, no more fighting, no more bombs, no more terrorists, no more threats, no more military invasions. It's all gone. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And when he wants peace on this planet, it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be mind-blowing. In fact, he's even going to extend this peace to the animal kingdom. Let's remind ourselves two chapters later what he says. This is, this is wild. Okay, Isaiah chapter 11, verse six, the wolf will live with the lamb during the millennial kingdom. It's what he's talking about. Two chapters later, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and what a little child, my son, Billy, woo, and he's not running away. He's leading him. Come on, guys, supper's over here. This isn't make-believe, folks. This is what, what's happening, okay? This is what Jesus is doing when he comes back. The millennial kingdom is very clear, folks. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set up shop. He's going to run the government. He's going to have this amazing provision. Is this, is, is, you're guaranteed to get there. Once he's in there, he ain't getting out. Woohoo! And he's going to be a priest to our hearts. And everything around us, including the animals. Even at this time, listen, all wild animals are going to be tamed. The leopard will be tamed as a goat. My son, our children, grandchildren will be completely safe. We won't have to say, oh, I trust you, and install a webcam secretly somewhere. They're completely safe playing around lions and snakes and wolves. Can you imagine that? I thought the billionaire thing was cool. <laughs> Can you imagine that? In fact... I think sometime God gives us a little sneak peek of what he has in store every day with every animal of his kingdom for those who come to him. Let's take a look at some of that evidence. It's not exactly the partner you'd expect a primate to fall for, but an unusual love story has been forced between Surya, the six-year-old orangutan, and a stray hound dog named Roscoe. For these logic-defying friends, it's all hugs and cuddles since the day they met three years ago when Surya spotted the dog from high atop an elephant while on a ride with his trainers at this South Carolina animal park. To me, they seem like long-lost friends. This other, more whimsical partnership between predator and prey has been seen on YouTube some five million times. A cat and a bird that shouldn't get along playing hide-and-seek, even wrestling. Two of nature's enemies frolicking like fast friends. From the hippo and the tortoise who sidle up next to each other, so many of these relationships are hard to explain. How's this for a unique animal friendship? 350-pound lion bone digger is best friends with a fearless seven-year-old dash hound dog named Milo. They may seem like unlikely friends, but Jericho the horse is perfectly happy to let this baboon lays on his back while they both soak up the sun. It may look like this dog's days are over, as a jaguar appears to go in for the kill. But things aren't always what they seem. In fact, this unusual pair are actually best friends. These two struck it off straight away. And now this feline-canine combo are inseparable. They don't leave each other, they feed together, sleep together, do everything together. 24 hours a day, they haven't been separated 
at all. They are like brothers. Sean Ellis from Devon in England has integrated himself into a pack of wild wolves. The pack itself began when the wolves in particular um, were only a few days of age. I still consider myself to be part of that family. Okay, got the like millions of people around the world, Mark Duma loves nothing more than to take a morning swim. But for him, there is a rather massive difference as Mark swims with a polar bear. Having pet cats may sound run-of-the-mill, but Janice Haley has taken her love of felines to the extreme, keeping two huge tigers in her back garden. Sabre, a 600-pound male white Bengal, and Janda, a 400-pound Bengal female, have lived with Janice since they were cubs. With their ability to crunch through human bone in a single bite, getting up close and personal with a 1,300-pound grizzly bear is not for the faint-hearted. But for 71-year-old Doug Zeus, coming face-to-face -face with the fearsome predators is all in a day's work. Start off. Good. That's good. Ah! Good. This pairing, researchers say, is one of the strangest animal bonds ever seen. A lioness who, instead of eating her dinner, adopts it. I think many people felt that this was, you know, had to be a message from God. Um, this was a miracle. This was, you know, the lion and the lamb laying down together. Where have we heard that before? Interesting. Except it's the wolf and the lamb. Folks, I really believe that sometimes God gives us a taste of what's to come and what's available to every person he's ever made. But you got to receive it. It's a gift. He's done it all. But just like a gift for Christmas, they could sit there on that table under that tree or whatever, wherever, and you could stare at it but you don't get the benefit of the gift until you what? You reach out and receive it. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Folks, this is true. Can you imagine, not an isolated occurrence, anybody want to swim with that polar bear? Anybody want to see John Gibson stick his head in a bear's mouth? Yeah, John, next week, what do you think? All right, we'll wait till the Millennial Kingdom. It'll be safer. Folks, that is really what's going to happen to the plant. I'm not making it up. Listen, that means one day, we joke about this, but it's true. One day, if you want it, you can have a pet tiger or two. Throw in a lion, leopard, elephant, whatever you want. One day, an orangutan can hang out with your dog in the backyard, be best friends. One day, a cheetah uh, can be best buds with your Jack Russell or Don Russell, whoever you want, right? Okay. Uh, the, the earth is really going to be like this. John really could stick his head in that bear. This is the true wonder of Christmas. This is the context of what he's saying. Why? How is this all possible? Why? I can't believe it. Because a child was born for us. A son was given to us. That's amazing. God gave us that gift when we didn't want to have anything to do with it. What more is it going to take?
to receive it from you. This is the true one of Christ. And this is why I am fully convinced, not trying to rain on anybody's parade, not getting overly legalistic, whatever. But when you understand the fullness of what's going on here, of the birth of Jesus Christ, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when you come across a counterfeit message that robs people of this amazing truth that is not make-believe, but is real, it, you kind of react a little bit, I'd say, like this guy does. Let's take a look at this. Merry Xmas, little girl. Merry Xmas. Oh, ho, ho. It may appear unorthodox, but the results are staggering. Merry Xmas. Why do I want to be the Christmas linebacker? Well, let me put it to you this way. You see, I'm here to put the Christ into Christmas. Let me hear you say Jesus. Jesus! Now don't mess with the linebacker, babies. Say it like you mean it. Say Jesus! Jesus! You see, when I hear Xmas, there's, there's something that bubbles inside of me. is only relevant to a few things. X-Files, X-Football players, but not Xmas. It's Christmas. Merry Xmas. Merry Xmas. This ain't no sleigh ride, baby. We're intrigued by the linebacker's emotional, spiritual, and psychological influence. Not to mention the physical impact. Yes, Christmas is all about sharing the love. His theology, well, it's impacting. You see, God didn't show up in a rocket ship. He didn't show up in a Cadillac. He showed up as a baby. That's what Christmas is about. You dig? So you've heard about the shepherds being meek. But the linebacker's here to give you a tweak. Yes, we certainly do know how to tackle Christmas. You see, materialism has ruined Christmas. It's not about presence under a tree. It's about God's presence with us. From all of us here at NIFSM, we hope your Christmas is a real hit. Now, folks, if you don't want the Christmas joy to end up deflated like that blow-up thing the day after Christmas, or it gets deflated, you might maintain it for a while, but it gets deflated when those bills start coming in January, then we just need to get back here at sunrise to the true wonder of Christmas. And you can keep that great Christmas excitement all year round. Yes, Jesus came 
A child was born to us. A son was given to us. Why? Yes, of course, for the forgiveness of sin. But he's here to take us to the millennial kingdom, which means we're not going to have any more elections, no more election campaigns, no more voting, no more hanging chads, no more rig machines, no more mud-slinging political ads, no more government oppression, no more lack, no more shortage, no more hungry, uh, no more class warfare, no more keeping up Jones. Every single one of us are going to be a billionaire. There's going to be fullness of joy, total comfort, total protection, no more sickness, no more shortness of life. And once you're headed there, you're headed there for good. Nobody can take it away. You're going to be given complete soundness, total safety, total commitment, total tranquility, all time, no worry, no anxiety, no stress, no more high blood pressure, no more wars, no more torment, no more suffering, no more fighting, no more bombs, no more terrorists, no more militaries. It's all gone. Why? Because that's the true wonder of Christmas. That's how we maintain this joy every single day of the year. And I don't know about you, but I'll take that any day of the week over that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart, 
And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today?
Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.